What would you do to be happy, to feel real joy? What would that be worth to you? Nexium built itself as a self-help group offering its members peace, love, and happiness, but only if you were rich. Members paid thousands of dollars for the privilege of being a part of Nexium, but hidden deep within that organization were more than 60 subgroups, at least two of them posing as women's empowerment groups. And if you were invited to join one, the price got even steeper. They wanted your soul in the form of collateral, the blackmail kind, nude photos, sex tapes, even written confessions claiming family members had sexually abused you. It didn't matter if the confessions were true or not, just that they were in writing, something to hold over you if you tried to leave. But here's the fine print. Women's empowerment was code for secret sex slave ring. And if you were a member... You'd be stripped naked, tied down, and branded with the cult leader's initials. You'd answer to your master, the woman a level above you in this sick pyramid scheme. Now, she might order you into bed with the leader in a strange bedroom with a bed elevated over a hot tub, which I I still don't understand, but it feels humid, but the bed, bizarre. You'd be starved, stick thin, because that's the body type the leader liked. And if, God forbid, you didn't, for example, respond to a text from your master within minutes, you'd be punished in horrifying ways. In this recap, we're going to go inside Nexium and tell you what its leader, Keith Ranieri, and his evil sidekicks, including former Smallville actress Allison Mack, we're going to tell you exactly what they did to these people. It's good to see you. I'm Amy. This is True Crime Recaps. And three years ago, the feds tracked Keith Ranieri from upstate New York to a $10,000 a week luxury bungalow in Mexico, where he was found hiding in a closet while some of his most loyal followers tried to protect him from being arrested. Eventually, he was sentenced to 120 years behind bars. And to think, He managed to convince the Dalai Lama to visit him at the height of Nexium's power. But the list of charges he and Allison Mack and other high-ranking members faced are just legalese. Sex trafficking, racketeering, please, those don't come close to describing the brutality and trauma they inflicted on their followers in the name of finding joy. But before we talk about what they were actually doing to them, and let me tell you, it had nothing to do with happiness, I want to answer a question that comes up a lot. What does NXIVM actually mean? First of all, it's pronounced Nexium, like the heartburn medication. I mean, that's coincidence, but when you really think about it, is it? And as far as what it means, well, that's a simple question with a sort of bizarre answer. Some say Nexium symbolizes a life path of seven. So in numerology, your life path number is meant to explain your personality, strengths, weaknesses. It's a lot like your zodiac sign. And if you're a life path seven, then you're the kind of person who questions the world around them, seeks the truth, and values science and spirituality. So Nexium. Makes sense, right? I mean, it fits right into the so you want to start a cult playbook that the founders were following. And it all started in 1998 when Keith Ranieri founded the group in Albany, New York, with the help of a woman named Nancy Salzman. 
On the outside, it was a multi-level marketing company offering self-help seminars they called executive success programs. According to its now defunct website, it billed itself as a community guided by humanitarian principles that seek to empower people and answer important questions about what it means to be human. But at its core, the organization was an experiment in mind control. Nancy was trained in neuro-linguistic programming. Her favorite tools were hypnosis and like mirroring techniques to create rapport quickly. So Keith was a self-described modern-day philosopher whose high IQ earned himself a place in the 1989 Guinness Book of World Records as one of the world's smartest people. In reality, he proved himself to be closer to one of the world's smartest con artists. Now, the New York Times Magazine put it this way, Ranieri was a master of disorientation, of making people believe that up was down and down was up, and it wasn't cheap to get on his emotional roller coaster. Courses cost thousands of dollars, and people were strongly encouraged to sign up for as many as possible and recruit others into the program. Now, here's the evil genius of it. The basis of the curriculum, the heart of it, was teaching members not to trust their own decisions. They needed Nexium to tell them how to think, to put it simply. And sessions were physically and emotionally draining, which are two things very critical to mind control. So according to the New York Times intensives, as they were called, they lasted 12 hours a day for up to 16 days. And classes covered subjects like relationship sourcing. In that one, students had to explore the benefits they would receive if their partner suddenly died. Another class was called Dracula and His Ghouls. It covered psychopaths and their followers, which is ironic. And also, what is that, a true crime class? Bizarre. But members who proved themselves to be devoted to the Nexium process and recruited others into the program, and you know, that's the key, they are the ones that moved up in the ranks. And different colored sashes ranging from white to orange to green showed off how high up in the group they were. Kind of like how belts in martial arts tell the world how skilled you are. And that is not a coincidence. Keith was a self-professed judo champ when he was a kid. Now, I know what you're thinking or at least, I mean, I hope I do, because this is what I was thinking as we researched this case. Why, in the name of all that is holy, would anyone subject themselves to this stuff? And the answer is, because it worked. I mean, they were happier. I mean, they felt happier. They felt more adjusted at first. Now, let me tell you about an experience one woman shared with the New York Times. She was a restaurant owner from Vermont. She was suffering from extreme burnout when an old friend recommended Nexium. She gushed about this workshop that were, well, was helping entrepreneurs reach their goals. So this restaurant owner signs up to take a five-day course in LA. Now, by this point, the group had offshoots around the US, Mexico, Canada. So at first, she says it was a life-changing experience. Her personal relationships improved. Her business turned around. She was hooked. Fast forward 10 years down the road, she cannot get out of the group. And get this, in 2017, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and the group told her, and this is a direct quote from the Times article, they told her she had given herself the disease to get her husband's attention. Instead of spending the money she'd raised online for treatment, 
they urged her to make the ethical decision to die. Yeah. Instead, she sued, so good on her. Now, that's the kind of group we're dealing with here, and it doesn't end there. In addition to being an evil genius, Keith Raniere was also a sexual sadist with a knack for abusing women under the guise of empowering them. And this is where actress Allison Mack comes in. If you don't know who she is, she played Superman's friend on Smallville. But in real life, let's say she was more like Lex Luthor. So about 20,000 people took classes at Nexium over the years it was in existence, but only the chosen few could join one of its subgroups. Now, I mentioned that all in all that there were more than 60, but the two that took the whole empire down were Janess and Doss. If you're curious, Janess was a made-up word. It's meant to symbolize the way that the women involved in the group were also reinventing themselves into something new, like, you know, making themselves a new person, new word, you get it. DOS, D-O-S, it stands for Dominus Obsequious Sororium, which translates to like Lord or Master of the Obedient Female Companions, according to Glamour. In these groups specifically, Allison Mack was known as the Madam. Just to set the stage, I want to play you this quick clip from HBO's documentary on the case called The Vow. In this excerpt, Allison meets Keith for the first time, and they get real close real fast. Now, by way of backstory, Keith just told Allison, we'd all be happier people if we stopped depending on the arts to entertain us, which probably explains why Allison, the actress, ended up giving up her career to follow this jackass. But all right, t- take a listen. <laughs> why is this enough? It's okay. She comes in close. I know, right? Um, I should be used to this. It's what I do for Um, because it's pointing at something I've never thought about. And a part of me is kind of freaked out about accepting this. I'm used to that self-condemnation. I'm comfortable with that. If I let go of that belief that it's not the art that's giving me this feeling, it's me that's giving me this feeling, then I have to trust that I will be capable of giving myself this feeling. And I don't necessarily trust that right now. And so that's scary because I want that feeling. <laughs> Will you give me an idea? Not right now, but at some point. I'll speak, but I normally don't give people EMs. Like, I don't know the protocol because I'm just I'm I mean, chair, so. Oh my. <laughs> I have to speak. I turn a little red. <laughs> but I mean, to some degree, we did a little bit of art. Yeah, it's about that. Thank you. 
Okay, so just to explain a little of what you just heard, an EM session stands for Explorations of Meaning. They were intense one-on-ones designed to dispel negative emotional triggers, but in actuality, they were confessionals, you know, similar to the audits you might have heard about in Scientology. And things that were said in EM sessions definitely did not stay in EM. Those confessions were hoarded as collateral to be used against the followers. So Allison was very obviously drinking the juice from the gallon, but just straight from the start. She joined Nexium in 2007, and she went on to recruit at least 25 women into this terrifying slave cult. Though here's how it worked. There were four levels of slaves. They each reported to the master above them. The masters reported up the pyramid to eight first-line masters. Those were Keith's personal slaves. At his trial, prosecutors say his first slave was a 15-year-old girl, and they'd found pictures to prove it. And she wasn't the only child he was accused of having sex with. He also slept with her sisters, got them both pregnant, and forced them both to terminate those pregnancies. Now, he did have a child from another woman, but that's a longer story we're not going to get into here. Let's concentrate on this secret society. Now, Allison was one of his master slaves, too, of course, and so was his co-founder's daughter, Lauren Salzman, although ultimately all the women, no matter their rank, answered to him in one way or another. Though according to Rolling Stone, a manifesto urged members to, quote, contemplate why your master is better than all other people. And how about this, Jim? The best slave derives the highest pleasure from being her master's ultimate tool. You surrender your life, mind, body for unconditional use. Yikes. Now you can bet little Miss Smallville wasn't showing prospective members that kind of flowchart. Here's what she did say to the New York Times back in the day as quoted in Bustle. DOS is about women coming together and pledging to one another a full-time commitment to become our most powerful and embodied selves by pushing on our greatest fears, by exposing our greatest vulnerabilities, by knowing that we would stand with each other no matter what, by holding our word, by overcoming pain. All right, well, let's talk about the pain they were meant to overcome. Among other forms of torture, these women were literally branded. And you've got to hear the moment Keith brainstorms this idea with Allison. Now listen to this. The person who's being branded should be completely nude and sort of held to the table like a sort of almost like a sacrifice. I don't know if that that's a feeling of submission, you know. So it also, of course, videoing it and videoing it uh, from different angles or whatever gives collateral. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, it probably should be a more vulnerable position type of a thing. Back, legs slightly, for legs spread straight, like being, feet being held to the side of the table, hands probably above the head being held, almost like tied down, like a sacrificial whatever. And the person should ask to be branded. Okay. Should say, please brand me, it would be an honor or something like that. An honor I want to wear for the rest of my life. I don't know. Okay. And they should probably say that 
before they're held down. So it doesn't seem like they're being coerced. Okay. I don't know. Those are just thoughts. Okay. And she did what he asked. The women were stripped naked, blindfolded, and told to sit in a circle on a, like a sheepskin rug because this wasn't creepy enough. And one by one, they were held down on a table while another member used a cauterizing pen to carve his initials into their like groin area. Now, one vocal member told various news outlets that the pain was worse than childbirth, 30 minutes of absolute torture. And not like it makes any of it more humane, but they were told that the brand was some kind of Latin symbol for sisterhood. And others thought it represented the seven chakras or like Greek letters, but in actuality, they were being branded with Keith's initials, but they were kind of skewed, so they couldn't tell, you know, right away. Basically, they belonged to him in his mind, like cattle. Now, much later at Keith's trial, one woman testified that she was an aspiring actress when Allison convinced her to join DOS by telling her it was a mentorship program for women. She told her it would make her feel stronger, more capable, and ultimately she said it would help her be a better actress, you know, better able to deal with all the trials and tribulations that come along with that type of work. But to join up, she had to offer up some collateral to prove she was serious about committing to the process. So her price was a sex tape and a fake letter claiming her father had sexually abused her. Now, once she was in, she said Keith blindfolded her, tied her naked to a table, asked her questions about her sex life, while a third person performed oral sex on her. To this day, she still doesn't know who that person was. And when she tried to get out of the group, Allison threatened her, so she stayed. Another woman said Allison told her she had to seduce Keith into bed as a way of healing her trauma from sexual abuse she suffered as a kid. Apparently, Allison said something to her along the lines of, and I give you permission to enjoy it. (laughs) Seducing Keith was a popular request from masters to slaves. One woman testified that when her master told her she had to seduce him, she felt, you know, weird about it, but she gave it a try by texting him, you look hot in your glasses. He told her she'd have to do better than that, and he suggested that she get more vulnerable and told her to send him some naked photos in his choice of positions. She didn't want to be punished for failing to complete her task, so she did it. Unfortunately, they were saved to the cloud and her father found them. He called them, he he said he found her medical photos in their shared account. Obviously, she was mortified and she asked permission to stop. So Keith told her that she could, but only if she posed for him in person, which of course ultimately led to having sex with him. But she did what her master commanded because she didn't want her collateral to get out. And when it came down to it, she believed the garbage Keith was spewing in the name of enlightenment. Allison explained the master-slave relationship like this to the New York Times. Quote, masters were high-ranking women that invited others into DOS. They would help slaves count calories to save them from the trap of emotional eating, according to other women in the group. So masters would dictate an act of self-denial, like cold showers or getting out of bed at 4 a.m. and standing still for a long time. Now, slaves were told to do acts of care for masters, like bring them coffee, and they might be told to abstain from orgasms, ostensibly to heal their negative sexual patterns. 
unquote. And that's what she called spiritual devotion. And if you weren't devoted enough, you were punished. So Lauren Salzman, Nancy's daughter, was also obviously deeply ingrained in the cult. In fact, she was so deep in that she allegedly held a woman hostage in a locked room for two years because she didn't complete the task she'd been assigned. Now, Lauren later pled guilty to racketeering, according to the cut. And Jeunesse, the other subgroup led by Allison, wasn't much better than Das. A former member said they were taught women are irresponsible, narcissistic, self-absorbed, and inclined to cast themselves in the role of victim. That's according to the New York Times. So keep that in mind while you listen to Allison raving about the group in this Jeunesse recruitment video. And yeah, feel free to scream out loud at the hypocrisy. For Jeunesse, I think is the most gratifying thing that I've ever done. Um, it's the most challenging thing I've ever done because it consists of working with a group of people in a way that is totally interdependent, meaning um, we're all working together and no one is ever punished and no one is ever um, told that they're wrong or they're bad. And the most important thing in working on Janice is the relationships in Janice. And I'm not used to that. I'm used to the objective being met. I'm used to having like strict, hard, fast, deadlines and lots of fear and punishment if I don't get it right. And in working for Jeunesse, there isn't any of that. So it, it comes purely from a place of self-motivation and um, self-direction. And that is really difficult. But I would say that working for Jeunesse is the most satisfying and purposeful thing I've ever done. So who is Keith? What kind of a guy would insist on branding women with his initials? Who would come up with the idea of a cult like this? Who else? A smart sociopathic narcissist. In his words, he was born extraordinary. He claims to have started speaking in full, coherent sentences by the time he was one. He says he was reading by two. By 12, he says he was a concert-level pianist and a student of mind control. Oh, and he claims he tackled all four years of high school math within 19 hours. He graduated with a triple major in biology, mathematics, and physics, but instead of applying his brain toward bettering the human race, he got interested in multi-level marketing, because of course he did. And his gateway company, what else but Amway? But he wasn't a member for long. He had bigger things in mind. He wanted to be at the top of the pyramid because, you know, that's where the real money is. So he started his first multi-level marketing company. It was called Consumers Byline. It was a membership program that sold groceries and household goods at a discount. By 1993, it closed after investigators pretty much across the country, started asking questions about its shady business practices, but he didn't stop there. Instead, he started another MLM company, and this one sold health supplements. He called it the National Health Network. It lasted until about 1998. That's right around the time he and Nancy dreamed up Nexium. Now, sexually abused women were not the only victims of that organization. You know what they say. People who think money doesn't buy happiness are already rich. And as it turns out, quite a few wealthy people wanted to literally use their money to buy happiness from Nexium. They wanted to shed the negative emotions and phobias they were carrying around. And Keith helped them do that for a price. Some of his wealthier followers included the heirs to the Seagram liquor fortune, and that booze money went a long way toward helping Nexium grow. 
Other notable followers included Battlestar Galactica star Nikki Klein. She got into the cult in 2006. Two years later, she asked to be let out of her contract on the show, and her character was killed off. Another high-profile member was India Oxenberg, the daughter of Catherine Oxenberg. She played Amanda Carrington on Dynasty in the 80s. Now, interestingly, it was Catherine who was first involved with Nexium, and she introduced her daughter to it. Catherine got out almost right away, but India got deep into it, and yeah, she was a branded member of DOS. But the person who took the first swing at bringing the whole evil empire crashing down was a man named Mark Vicente. He was deep in the group for 10 years. He was one of Keith's most loyal followers. But when he heard about what was happening to the women in DOS and he saw how skeletal and malnourished they looked, he asked his friend, Sarah Edmondson, if there was any truth to what he suspected. Now, she became the second person to blow the whistle. And when she confirmed his worst fears about the man that he revered, he called the FBI. Now, you could say he was the first person to publicly ask the question, what if this group is a front to do hideous things to people? Now, after Mark and Sarah went public, the whole operation started to crumble. So here's what happened to the major players. In March 2018, Keith was arrested in Mexico and extradited back to the U.S. By July 2018, Five of his higher-ups, Nancy Salzman, her daughter Lauren, Alice and Mac, his bookkeeper, and the Seagram's heiress, they were all indicted. By October 2020, he was sentenced to 120 years behind bars. And as of January 2021, he's serving that time in a maximum security federal prison in Arizona that treats sex offenders. That's according to the New York Post. It's the same prison where Elizabeth Smart's kidnapper, Brian David Mitchell, and gymnastic doctor, pedophile, Larry Nasser. that's where they did time. His co-founder, Nancy Salzman, pleaded guilty. In court, she admitted that she tracked and monitored usernames and passwords of suspected moles in the group to make sure that they weren't leaking information about the group's inner workings, according to a quote from the New York Times. She also confessed to ordering her minions to destroy videotapes that documented Vanguard's teaching. That's what Keith wanted people to call him, Vanguard. And when she was caught, they also found hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in her house. Her daughter, Lauren, pleaded guilty to racketeering, as I mentioned. And in July 2021, she was sentenced to time served five years of probation, and 300 hours of community service because she testified against him. Allison Mack was charged with sex trafficking and conspiracy to commit forced labor, but prosecutors made a bargain to drop the trafficking charges, and ultimately she pleaded guilty to racketeering. In court, one of her victims called her an evil sociopath, a menace to society, and a danger to innocent human beings. She was facing up to 20 years, but she got off with only three and a $20,000 fine because she was really, really sorry. Hmm. Considering that her victims will be working through their trauma for way longer than three years, I'd say it looks like she was a better actress than we thought. And last but not least, the Seagram's liquor heiress, the woman who funded the cult to the tune of about $100 million, got almost seven years behind bars. The judge let her have it for almost an hour, saying how despicable it was that she used her fortune to support the cult's heinous acts and have people she considered oppressors silenced when they tried to speak out in the past. 
Thanks so much for spending your time with me today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It only takes a minute, but it means the world to us. Thanks again. Until next time, take care.